Good morning. You can open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13. It will also be on the screen to my right and to my left. In the month, the month of June, I'm doing a series of messages called The Heart of a Champion. And I'm focusing upon what are the characteristics of a champion heart. And the ones we're looking at are psalms that were written by David. One of the fears that I had as I was preparing this week's message is that some of you would think only of the more powerful attributes of a cha champion's heart, like strength and perseverance and grit and determination. But there's another part of a champion's heart that we sometimes don't talk about, and it's the heart that is strong enough to share real grief and real sorrow. Let me say that again. There is another part of the champion heart that we don't talk about very much, and it is a heart that has the strength to share grief and sorrow in raw emotion. The heart that is real and can voice pain and suffering. That is also true of a champion heart. One third of the Psalms that have been written of the 150, about 45 of them, are called lament psalms. Many of them were written by David. A lament is a psalm which is a cry of anguish and pain and suffering, a complaint to God. God, how long are you going to let this go on? Why is this happening to me? Why have you done this to me? God, 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 and all of them move through this same cycle from complaint to a request and then to an affirmation of God's unfailing love. And what you'll notice when you read these particular psalms is that these psalms don't try to solve problems. They just cry out, believing that in crying out to God our grief and sorrow, something happens in us. So the one I want to share with you today was written by David, and it is Psalm 13. And David cries out, he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I want you to feel that. Look on me and answer me, Lord God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I will sleep in death. My enemy will overcome and rejoice when I fall. Then the affirmation. But I will trust in your unfailing love. He's saying, I may not have all the answers. I, I'm crying out to you, God, but I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. 
This is God's word for God's people. God's people did say. Well, last week uh, during this 950 service, Tamara was at the table and she was leading us to the table and she had a prayer. And in that prayer, she made mention of what happened in Orlando, Florida. And that morning during the worship service, the news was breaking that 49 people had been shot and murdered uh, in a gay nightclub there in Orlando, Florida. I didn't realize this had happened. I didn't know what she was talking about until worship was over. And I just want to be really honest with you about what happened to me this week. I want to share with you how I've struggled with this all week because I had not planned on speaking about this at all today. I was not going to address it. I was going to move on. I was going to pass it over. I'll explain why. So something happened then on Tuesday to me. So on Tuesday, I, I just be honest, I, I was listening to the news, I was sad, I was heartbroken, but I'd already moved on. This happens a lot in the world, and it's really easy to be indifferent. It's really easy to be just sort of overwhelmed and immune to violence. You just kind of move on. By Tuesday, I'd already sort of moved on. But I went to staff meeting. And Chris Cherry was at staff meeting, and he looked right at me, and he challenged me. Doesn't he know you're not supposed to do that? You're a senior pastor. <laughs> yeah, isn't it great? He looked right at me, and he said, are we going to talk about Orlando this weekend, next weekend? I said, well, I've already planned. He said, sometimes plans have to change because there are things that happen in the world that have to change our plans. I said, would you just shut up? <laughs> Chris, what you may not know is that Chris, um, before he came here, he was on staff at a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and the church that he served was in the shadow of the state capitol where they took down the Confederate flag, and where a year ago, this last week, uh, a gunman went into a prayer study, a Bible study prayer group, and shot and killed nine people. Chris then said, the reason this is important to me that we talk about this at Middletown this week is because in my last church, we were right in the shadow of what had happened, and everybody in our town was talking about this, everybody but my church. He said that Sunday came and went, there wasn't a mention of it, there wasn't a prayer of it, and there was never any mention of what had happened in the tragedy. That really convicted me. It convicted me because I look over here and I see all these teenagers sitting here. And regardless of whether the church is talking about what's happening in the world, they are talking about it every day. Well, we have worship upstairs, and sometimes maybe we're avoiding what's happening in the world outside. They're downstairs talking about and dealing with what's happening in the world every day. Our teenagers want to talk about sexual orientation. Our teenagers want to talk about racism. Our teenagers want to talk. Our teenagers want to talk about uh, violence, our culture of violence. They want to talk about all these things. And so, what deeply convicted me was the reality that if the church is not a place where we can talk about what's really difficult and what's really hard and what's going on in the world, we are sending a message to our young people and saying that the gospel is irrelevant. The gospel 
doesn't matter. It's disconnected. And because this generation is very different from the way that we grew up, because they're so close to what we're talking about, what will happen is when they leave here, they will never come back. It's not because they don't believe in the gospel. They just feel like we're wasting our time with what we're doing here. I don't want to be that pastor. So I then was convicted by another emotion. I was convicted because, frankly, I'd moved on. And it troubled me that it didn't bother me more. And when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I made a decision to follow the most compassionate person that ever lived and walked on this earth. And to follow Jesus means to be impacted by the pain of other people and by their loss and by their suffering. The second reason I don't like Chris is because he made me realize, <laughs> he made me realize, you know, maybe I've become a little too cautious a little too fearful. Um, let me explain why. Because it's not easy today to stand up in the church and talk about sexual orientation or to talk about what happened in Orlando. And the reason is because when something like this happens, immediately people use it to begin spouting their point of view to politicize human suffering and, to, and it's polarizing. And so sometimes when I've in the past, I've stood up and tried to talk about difficult issues. I've not always done a good job with it. And instead of bringing about healing, I've been more polarizing than helpful. But also it's kind of scary to me because is, let's just be honest. The church is not always a safe place to talk about real stuff. It's, the church is not a safe place for, for gays and lesbians, and people in that community. Even though we're welcoming, it's still not been a safe place. And so it's hard to talk about these things. Let me tell you what's on my heart this morning. I don't want to be that church. I do believe in our core values. I do believe that this is a church that places emphasis upon the radical love and the welcome of Jesus Christ, and that this church ought to be a church that says what's happening in the world matters to us, we care about it, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to be able to provide a role model for the rest of the world that says we're going to talk about it in a way that's not divisive and filled with strife and filled with animosity and filled with hatred and filled with bigotry. We're not going to be that kind of people. We're not going to add to the hate that's in the world. And so I, this morning, I want to challenge you on something. I want you to think about the words that you use every day and the language that you use and that I use. Our words have power. And the way that we talk about people, the way we talk about issues, really matters. Because our words do one of two things for us. Our words either do more to create harm and hurt in the world. They add to the hurt and the pain. Or our words can add to healing and to hope. A lot of religious people in the world add to the pain and the hurt. I don't want to be a part of that group. A lot of the politicians add to the hurt, and they don't add to the hope. I'm really, really upset this morning. I'm really upset. What's, what has happened to our country? 
It went after 911, people came together, but now when a tragedy comes, we want to point fingers, we want to blame, and we want to use it as a platform to pick up. This is not about politics, this is about people. This is about sons and daughters. To be gay and lesbian is not an issue, it's a person's life. It's how they live, who want to be loved. And today we have parents bearing children. It's not an opportunity to to get on Facebook and to use hatred to demonize people who are different from us. I'm really, really, really bothered this morning. I'm really bothered by the idea that what are Christian people doing in the world today? What they do is when an event like this happens, we feel like we're accomplishing something when we get on Facebook and put our point of view on there. And we forward hateful information about Muslims or gays. We just keep forwarding stuff. What good does that do? It does no good. And instead of turning to social media, what we need to be doing is we need to be turning to God. We need to be turning to the source of unfailing love, not turning, not turning to social media to demonize and to dissect other people and to divide people. Because you know what? Social media is a poor substitute for real relationships because I can condemn someone without knowing them, without hearing their story. When I'm sitting in a room with someone and I'm looking at someone, it's hard to hate you when I hear your heart. Let me tell you what I want. I want to create a church that's a safe place for people to come and tell their stories. Hey, it doesn't matter what your story is. We want you to know that you come here we're going to listen to your story. We're going to hear your story. And we're going to acknowledge your pain and what you're going through. And we're going to hear it and we're going to listen. Because let me tell you, people never be able to hear the story of the God of love unless we can first hear their stories. Until we're able to listen to their story, and then here's the other thing. Be open to the possibility that hearing another person's story might change my story. So as Christian people, can we just say this? Can we just say this and be this church in the world that says, we are not going to be a church that's going to label people. We're going to stop. We're going to make an effort to stop ourselves from using words to hurt people by generalizing about people by saying, all gay people, well, you know how they are. They're, they're like this. All liberals are like this. All conservatives are like this. All Muslims are like this. I don't know what we should call Islamic terror. I don't know what, I don't know what to do with all that, but may I remind Christian people before we start getting on Islam and saying all Muslims are violent, let me just remind you that it was a year ago that a Christian walked into a building and shot nine people in a black church. I don't care whether it's radical Christianity. I don't care if it's radical Islam. I don't care if it's radical atheism. Killing people is wrong in the name of religion. And there is no justification for it. There's no justification for it, period. And we contribute to it with the way that we talk about it. Our faith should not be a reason to turn away from each other. But it should be and must be the reason that we move toward each other, not away. If your faith causes you to run away from people, 
to segregate people, to divide people, to demonize people, I want to tell you, you do not have the faith of Jesus. That is not who Jesus was. Our faith should be the faith that causes us to lean in, to listen, to press in, even when we don't understand someone, and we're trying to understand. And whatever, and I, and I want to say in regard to this particular thing, you know, Whatever, whatever our theological differences are, whatever we believe about marriage or any of those kinds of things, the LGBTQ community, they're people. They belong to our church. They're our brothers. They're our sisters. And we need to stand with them. And we need to say that what has happened to you is wrong. And we acknowledge that this was not just what happened in Orlando. It was not just a random act of terror. They were targeted. They were absolutely targeted. And we need to be a church that's safe for people from that community to be here and to be loved and welcomed in every way that we can. You know, I want to be a part of that church. And we need to commit to the principle. It's a principle that being a disciple of Jesus Christ can mean nothing less, nothing less than intentionally standing up regardless of the differences that we have with people Standing up for people when we see lives Jesus died to value, devalued by hate and religious ignorance. So the psalm of lament. Let me tell you what that means to me. Back to the lament. We just want to pass on. We just want to go over. We don't do lament. We, we ignore grief. We, we ignore loss. We just... We just pass over it. We don't acknowledge it. I do that, you know. I can move on, you know. Um, but the, the lament psalm says there's value in hearing and feeling sorrow. It's essentially a part of being a human being. And as I hear that, as I hear that psalm of lament today, this is what I feel is we need to hear, we need to listen. We need to ask ourselves, and I'll ask you, we need to hear, what is it like to be a gay and lesbian person in the world today? What does that feel like? What is it like to be Muslim in America today? What is it like to be a black man in America today? What is it like to be a person who comes here from Mexico because you're trying to get something for your kids, and you're just trying to put food on the table, and to hear yourself demonized. All Mexicans are like this. What, is that, what does that feel like? To acknowledge and to feel their sorrow and to feel their pain. That's who Jesus was. If you look at Jesus, one thing about Jesus, religious people in that day were telling people, you don't belong. But Jesus listened to their stories and because they he listened to their story they were able to receive and to hear his story so today it's not about solutions it's about weeping and mourning with people who experience deep loss to say we hurt with you but it's also to trust an unfailing love I want to end with that point. 
the affirmation at the end of the psalm is, it basically says, the psalm says, you know, we don't know why this is happening, but we're going to trust in your unfailing love. Let me tell you how I interpret that this morning. This is what I mean is, is you can't kill love. We are the people of love. We speak for love. We are love. And when we forget that, we lose who we are. We can't give in to cynicism. Now is the time more than ever for the church to be the church of Jesus Christ in the world. We have to rebrand Christianity and make Christianity look more like Jesus and less like bigotry and hatred. Unfailing love. You know what that means is you can't kill love because love always gets up. And in the face of hate, we have to show it. And I've seen it, I've seen it twice in the last week. I was, in, I was involved in two parades. Two weeks ago, I was in a parade with a bunch of veterans coming home, World War II veterans and Korean and Vietnam veterans coming home from Washington, D.C. The veteran I was walking with, when he came home from Vietnam, he was spit on with hatred. It was the first time he received a warm welcome. We came home, and we walked through the hallways, and there were a thousand people in the hallways cheering for him. And I looked out, and I saw members of our church standing there. I had no idea. That's the church I want to be. And then Friday, it was really important to me, it was really important to me that I go with my family and my wife and my son that we go down to the pride parade to show love and support. And uh, we walked in the parade. And um, I looked and I saw people from our church participate along the sides, cheering, supporting, and encouraging. That's the church I want to be.